Today we're going to be in 1 Peter 5. Now, the last time we talked about uh, the Apostle Peter spoke about persecutions. And in light of that, we're in chapter 5 today. Uh, and what we, what we see is, you know, he knows through the Holy Spirit that things are coming. To, on, uh, some hard times are going to come to the church, persecutions, difficulties, trials. Uh, so really, towards the end of this first letter, which this is the last chapter, he's trying to speak about, in light of that, what type of leadership there needs to be in the church to be able to steer the church through these trials. Now, I would just say this. This is going to be a, really an unorthodox message in that we're going to go through three different books of the Bible. And this is going to be first part of the message. I don't want to cram it all in today. Uh, but if you do have a calling on your life to be an elder or be in church leadership or, or a pastor, that's an honorable calling. There's nothing presumptuous about that. You may want to take out your scorecards today. Because we are going through most, again, it's a little unorthodox today. We're going to go through a lot of terminology. Basically, what does God's word say about what an elder or a, a pastor or a shepherd looks like spiritually? So, um, you know, sort of like she loves me, she loves me not. You can get out your scorecard, sharpen your pencil and say, hey, I do pretty good over here. But, boy, these three points I really need to work on. Now, the real blessing to that is that, you know, God can change us, right? God can change us. We now, as we're born again, we have a new nature. We have a spiritual nature. So uh, the old man, in a sense, with the old carnal desires, should start to, as you grow in Christ, should start to wane, and that spiritual nature needs to be more prominent. Uh, so if we don't fit some of these characteristics, and we do have a calling, maybe somewhere in the future, that we would pray to God, Lord, help me through these issues that I'm still struggling with. We all have weaknesses in our lives and strengths. So I'm going to qualify some terms first to avoid any confusion, because today... Uh, in Christianity, there's a little bit of dogma regarding these positions, but back in those days, uh, there were positions, but also they were functions, and some of these were interchangeable. So let me go through them. The first one in the Greek, and I'll, that's the easiest to start with, with, is poimaino, and that was a pastor or a shepherd. Now, what's interesting, there was also a word in Hebrew in the Old Testament, Psalm 23, the Psalm of the Good Shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. So the Lord is our shepherd. We're likened to sheep as people. And when we're together, we're likened to a bunch of sheep in a pen, and the shepherd takes care of us. However, the, the Lord has appointed in New Testament times under shepherds, you know, to hopefully try to reflect his nature as much as possible, to lead the people, to lead the sheep in a church-type setting. Now, there's also a verb. When you take that word and turn it into a verb, it can mean to tend or to feed. And we see that in John 21. Uh, Peter is, is wants to know what the Lord wants him to do. He's like, feed my sheep. That's what I want you to do. That same word is used in a, in a different form. Now, for our understanding, a pastor's job is to feed the flock of God uh, spiritually, but also to protect them. And that's why a shepherd has a staff. There will be those that come in as opportunists into a church, especially the larger church, and peddle their wares, whether it's a false doctrine, whether it's a way for them to make money or take advantage, uh, because maybe they see, well, these are unsuspecting church people. So, you know, part of the shepherd's job, number one, is definitely to discern the word. The word needs to come out from the pulpit. Right? There's some pulpits where that doesn't happen. Uh, but the other thing is a protection aspect, too. The Greek word is presbyteros which is uh, technically a senior, is in a senior citizen. Now, don't get mad at me. This was cultural. When this was written, somebody who was considered a senior was 50 years old or more. So that was cultural. In English, we get the word elder, 
Now, the word presbyteros in the Greek is transliterated into, in, in the English, uh, Presbyterian. So Presbyterian churches are run by these elders. Now, Presbyteros is not just a person of an age, but it has a dual meaning. This is a person who holds an office in the church. This is a person with some time in the Lord. Uh, this is a person who helps those in the church. Maybe they can go to that person for prayer or for counsel or um, just the general guidance of the flock members. The third position in the Greek is episkopos, which means a superintendent, an overseer, or someone in general charge. And in English, it's translated into bishop. Now, we know that the Episcopal Church is run by bishops. So you see some of these terms, and you say, gee, I never knew that. I never understood that in that denomination, but now you understand where it's coming from. Uh, uh, an episcopos could be a senior pastor, but he could be a minister in charge of a, a region or country of a denominational church. And you see that if you come from that uh, type of uh, background. The fourth word in Greek is diakonos, which means a waiter, an attendant, or a servant. In the English, the word is deacon. And the difference between him or her, deaconesses, and an elder is that the main difference is an elder has to have the ability to teach and teach. And the deacon does not necessarily, but he can just serve and help wherever is needed. Now, I've always been taught to just recognize a person who's already fulfilling the role. And for an example, uh, Daryl in the back, who I'm going to embarrass him, but he plays with a bunch of switches and buttons. But last week, myself and Daryl, we went to uh, minister to a man who had four weeks to live. And I gave him the lead, and the guy did a great job. Don't let the buttons and switches fool you. The man can discern the word. I've also written letters of maybe recommendation for someone trying to get a job, and they feel that, you know, can you help me out, Pastor? And uh, I may write, that person serves as a deacon or a deaconess in this church. And they see the letter and go, wow, that's, I have a title? You're already doing it. You know, so it wouldn't be far-fetched for me to tell, hopefully, your future employer that this is what you do in the church. You're in good standing. Okay? The last word uh, that we're going to cover in, in terminology is apostolos. In the English, we get the word apostle from. Now, this person had the authority to speak into the first century church. Uh, he would receive visions to establish the first century church. And that's different from somebody who's a disciple. Completely, completely different word. But the apostle, uh, we went through this. There was three basic requirements of an apostle. And according to scripture, we see that the apostle proper position has really passed once the first century church was established. So now we're going to jump into, now that you've got the terminology, we're going to jump into 1 Peter 5, starting with verse 1. The elders who are among you, I exhort, Peter says, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. So the Apostle Peter calls himself a fellow elder with the elders of the church that he's addressing. Right? The tradition now, there's some tradition that say that Peter was the first pope. However, it's not reflected in Peter's words. And it's certainly not reflected in the Greek terminology. The word for father or uh, papa is uh, patir, I believe it is in the Greek, and that's never used in an ecclesiastical sense. So that's just purely tradition. That position was not available. It came through the church at the time, several centuries later. Verse 2 says, Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by constraint, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. 
Shepherd the flock of God, not below you, but among you. Minister to the church that's in front of you. And we'll read, we're going to go through Titus, and he says to establish elders in every city. So the elders were there to support the church, and uh, they were to be part of the local church uh, in that area, that geographical region. So we have ability. We're going to see a lot of ability today. But there's also another component. It's attendance. As an elder, you get to know the flock. You're immersed in the flock. You uh, get to understand people, and, and you uh, build relationships with people. So uh, the, the thing is that uh, you have to have that ability or those characteristics, right, those spiritual abilities, but also we need to have that uh, attendance, right? If you're not really around, uh, then people really can't get to know you. There's a temptation in ministry to go for bigger and better, and I think it's really born out of pride. Uh, when our, years ago, when our pastor left and I became the pastor, uh, it, was, it was tough the first few years, really tough, uh, very hard. <laughs> and I had the opportunity, somebody came to me and said, hey, there's this church in the area, it's a large established church, and uh, you could just get everybody to move from here into the school to this building, and you can be part of that church. And you know, it sounded very tempting to me, but I have to say, I didn't even put my resume in because I didn't think it was from God. Because the Bible says to shepherd the flock that is among me. And if I would have done that, we wouldn't be here today. Or maybe somebody else would be here, but it wouldn't have been me. So I'm kind of glad that that temptation came and went and it wasn't uh, taken advantage of. He says, serve as overseers, not by constraint, but willing, not grudgingly, not because someone's making you do it. It's wrong if... The pastor has to say to the elders, hey, guys, you don't show up for anything, right? Elder would want to be around uh, his church family. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Judas was with Jesus maybe some three-plus years, and he was a thief. Right? He, didn't much, he didn't really allow himself to be influenced too much uh, by Jesus. And today, embezzlement in the church is common, unfortunately. Uh, two things that are common that you hear about pastors is one, adultery, and the other one is embezzlement. I hate to say it, but that's that you look on the news and uh, you go through enough time and you'll see somebody else that falls into one of those two categories. So if you're not embezzling, you know, you don't want to do it for dishonest gain. Maybe the other idea that a, a temptation may come is for a, a leader of the church to latch on to somebody who they know is wealthy. And, of course, that is wrong, too. But he says, do it eagerly. Now, I would say this, that uh, I was very eager yesterday at paintball. <laughs> you know, I try to show up if I'm not working at, at any functions. It's not because someone makes me do it. It's not because it's my job requirement. But it's because I really enjoy doing it, although my wife won't let me show up at the women's function, so there is a limit to it. <laughs> but my pastor told me that a pastor's social life needs to be tied up in his, in his church. That's just the way it is, you know. We're supposed to be among, not above. And people aren't dumb. They'll know if you really care about them or not. And one of the ways that others can see that you care is that you're there, right? If, you, if you're there, it shows that you care. And I say to, you know, even those dealing with the public in any respect, even in a secular job, if you're really grumpy and you really don't like to deal with the public, then go find another career. You know, this probably isn't for you. Verse 3, nor is being lords or masters over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So not as lords, but examples. Now, Matthew 20, Jesus 
spoke about this. Now, no doubt that uh, Jesus' disciples, and you can see from some of the conversations, thought they were going to get something. When Jesus would take over the Romans, this was their vision, you know, establish the kingdom on earth. Maybe they would be a lieutenant or a general or something like that. And Jesus had to correct them several times about not being lords or masters. He said, you need to be servants. Some do have a lust for authority, and it sometimes is not manifest until they get into that position of authority. But I will say this, that my wife and I have been faithful, her with the women and me with the men, on, and the few times that have happened, for those who are lording, those who are harsh with the sheep, we have been faithful enough to tell them you need to step down. And I will say this from the pulpit, it's being recorded, you have the right, every one of you here, to respectfully collect your thoughts and pray if someone has hurt you in leadership, to come to that person, like Matthew 18 says, and say, you hurt me, and, and make your case. You know, there's nobody who's above you. Uh, and I will say that because, you know, I'm not going to ask you to leave if you do that. You have every right. We, we're supposed to be a family here. We're supposed to support each other. We all work together. You pray for me, that's great. I need prayer. I, I spend time studying in the Word, and, and of course, you have different, more functions than that, and so do I, but we're supposed to work together. I don't like, and I think it's a Western mentality, I don't like Christian celebrity movement. I don't like it. You know? and, and I'll tell you what, even in, in some worship, uh, they are, they have this, now not all of them, but there's an attitude, an aura about themselves that they're like rock stars. You're not a rock star. You're worshiping the Lord. You know what I'm saying? It isn't about money. It isn't about your looks. It's about the Lord. Right? And, and there's certainly many leaders of churches, pastors, who, you know, it's all an ego-driven ministry. Uh, again, I think that's mostly a Western mind because you take these, these folks and send them over to the persecuted church and they won't last a day. Right? It won't work. I will say this. I've said I'm sorry before and because I know me, the word I'm sorry or the phrase will come out many more times before the Lord takes me home. Uh, so I just want to get that straight. Not lords, but examples. I would not ask anyone to do anything here that I haven't already done myself. I still do tasks around here. I still empty the dehumidifiers. And there's something very therapeutic about dumping the de dehumidifier water in a sink. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the sound of running water, but um, it's cool, you know. If a leader turns, a leader, male or female, turns their nose up at a menial task, uh, I will tell you this, they won't be a leader that much longer. Jesus said to wash, wash feet and to be an example. Listen, I actually prayed about this, and uh, I, I was uncomfortable in some respects. Uh, if, and, and I've taught, I've heard some really good sermons and teachings that a pastor should really not use himself that much in the pulpit. Uh, I'm going to break with that today only because I want you to see things through my eyes. I normally don't do this on Sunday. Uh, but I am going to just kind of give you some of my experiences so you can see through my eyes how I see things. Uh, I was asked this week, Am I taking my son to paintball? And I said, no. The ministry leader has decided there's an age cutoff. I could overrule him, but I won't because I want to set an example. Because there's other of you that have uh, younger teens that couldn't go, so I sent my son with his grandmother. Uh, so you try to be, listen, it doesn't mean I'm, I'm, I'm aces on and all, all these, trust me. We're all, you know, as we get closer to the cross, you know, this is a journey. This is a lifelong quest. So we all have weaknesses that we have to deal with and work on. Uh, I think that in leadership at times we have to ask ourselves so pride doesn't uh, well up inside of us. How am I perceived by the flock? Am I doing it grudgingly? Am I nuzzling up to those that I think have money? 
Uh, am I an elitist? Am I proud? That's something that we always need to do. I even ask others after I'll make a, a, an illustration and, I, and I'll say, you know, was that over the line? Was that over the top? Because, you know, I can do that, I suppose. And uh, my wife is great because she grounds me. Sometimes I'll ask her questions and she'll go, that wasn't your best sermon, Joe. <laughs> but I know other pastors who have wives that do that too, and that's good. Keeps me honest, right? We're a ministry team. Verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So here's the reward, the crown of glory. Now, when we read the scripture, we see crowns, the crown of glory, the crown of life, the crown of righteousness. We've seen this through the scripture. There's, there's some type of spiritual uh, things that you can achieve while being on this earth. And we know that when we get to heaven, it doesn't matter anyway, because we all take off our crowns, right? We've seen this in the leaders in Revelation, and we cast them at the Lord's feet. So it's great that we won the crowns, but guess what? They came from the Lord. I mean, we might have been obedient to receive it, but still, we can't do anything. Jesus says, you can't do anything without me, John 15. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny because even in ministry, maybe some amount of time, I had an opportunity to come on staff at my former church and my pastor and his wife sat down with me and my wife and uh, you know I only had secular jobs she only had secular jobs so my wife said you know what's the retirement plan like <laughs> and my pastor smiled and he said pastors don't retire <laughs> oh <laughs> but it was kind of cool because it's true pastors don't retire when are you ever off duty for preaching the gospel if somebody's in need, when are you ever off duty to pray for somebody, you know? And I will tell you, there are several men that I won't uh, embarrass. I could make them stand in this church who are ordained men who, even though they're in their 70s and later, they're still preaching the gospel. They're still ministering to their neighbors. They don't need a pulpit. They are still ministering as elders and pastors. So it's true. Pastors don't retire. It's something that when God calls you to do it, it's for life, right? So I want to jump to 1 Timothy, if you wouldn't mind, because there's some other traits and different positions that I mentioned before. So 1 Timothy 3, we're going to start with verse 1. The Apostle Paul, switching gears, says, This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, and able to teach. What I'm going to do with this is, if you remember from school, how many people remember in school Venn diagrams? Oh, wow, some of you, that's good. It was like set A, set B, and when you merged them together, there was like a subset of C that had some of both. So we're going to do the Venn diagram model today. And we're going to pick out, really, I'm not going to go through the same traits in every letter. I'm going to pick out the ones that uh, haven't been discussed yet. Number one, blameless. The Greek word is an epileptos. Now, in the English, we later took that word and used it and said epilepsy. Okay, but it comes from the Greek. Now, let me just explain what this word means and why they used that Greek word to uh, explain a disease. You need to be blameless in that nothing can seize you or arrest you in ministry. Believe me, if you have skeletons in your closet and you raise your hand and you want to go into ministry, Satan will be very sure 
to open that door and open it a little so all the skeletons fall out. There's just a natural tendency that when you raise your hand and step into ministry, uh, you're going to be scrutinized. So the person mustn't be blameless. Now, it doesn't mean that you didn't sin, and it doesn't even mean that you didn't come out of a life of addictions or drugs or whatever the case may be. You've been saved. The Lord's trained you up. God, Jesus can use anybody. As a matter of fact, he used the ones that the religious leaders looked down their nose at. But the point is, we're to be blameless in a sense that uh, deal with the issues before you decide to raise your hand and start getting into leadership. You know, let it come out. Discuss it, you know, um, uh, so that it, there's, no, there's no scandal anymore. Oh, yeah, I've heard that before. You know, that's nothing new. So when the gossips come out, uh, that stuff is stifled. The other thing about this is interesting is the Bible is clear about secretiveness. Okay? Jesus was very clear about everything's going to come to light at some point. And he did everything uh, openly. Uh, sneakiness, secretiveness. Now, that's usually, if somebody's being sneaky in ministry, that's a precursor to a sin. I've seen it. Or a cover-up to a sin. Now, I've seen, unfortunately, even today, it's still happening, pastors are falling into sin. There's a problem in the American church. And I'm sure it's happening overseas also. But you'll see that before that happens, somebody starts to be very withdrawn. They start to isolate themselves. They're not accountable. They, um, if you kind of latch on to something, you know, they're quick and slick about kind of getting out of it. And it's that sneaky secretiveness. I remember when I became a pastor, another pastor said to me, welcome to the fishbowl. <laughs> right? You just got that, huh? Um, fishbowl, the fish, they can't, there's no privacy. They swim around and around, and it's glass. Everybody sees where the fish is, even when they go in their little castles. But the thing is, when you raise your hand and, and step forward, your, your life is going to be scrutinized. It's going to be examined. And if you don't like it, don't get into ministry, right? Um, my wife and I, we share bank accounts, credit cards. That We don't have secret passwords on our computers. And again, this, you're seeing this through my eyes. It keeps me honest. I can't lead a double life. You know, she's, the, the credit card statements are online. They come to the house. Uh, we don't have separate anything. And you know what? I like it like that. I mean, we, I've been just doing it. I'm so used to doing it that I don't know any other way. But it's good, right? It keeps that secretiveness out and that, that sneakiness and that um, seclusion. Uh, two, or the second uh, characteristic here, the husband of one wife. It wasn't uncommon for polygamy back then, and some have used it as an excuse. Even today, well, they did it in the Old Testament. Yeah, but it's not right. God said not to do it. We do a lot of things we shouldn't do. So he wanted to make that clear. To be temperate, the third one that I wanted to discuss, circumspect, vigilant, you know, temperate, good temperature, not too hot, not too cold, kind of like Goldilocks's porridge. Uh, in the secular world, we would say, hey, that person's chill, or they give off good vibes. Well, if you deal with someone who is in authority and, and they're compassionate and they're, they're in the word, they should give off good vibes. And those vibes really are spiritual vibes. So the world sees them as vibes, but we see it as we know what the truth is. The Holy Spirit is working through that person. Uh, Sober-minded. The last two tell us that this leader is not clueless. When a crisis hits the church, he doesn't panic and run around with his hair on fire like everyone else. Everyone's looking at him to say, well, there's a crisis. What are you going to do? So the person has to be temperate and sober-minded, a good head on their shoulders. Uh, fifth point is good behavior, to be orderly, modest, not telling dirty jokes outside of church, or not being one way in church and immersing yourself in uh, lascivious activities or 
computer games or TV shows or, or movies. Right? It's something to look at. Uh, we see that the sixth point is hospitable. Now, the Greek word is very interesting. I love these composite words in the Greek. Uh, the Greek word for hospitable literally means a lover of strangers. A lover of strangers. Now, this is very important. The person needs to be friendly, warm, inviting, not stuck up or arrogant. And I would tell you, you, you guys are great. Those of you who have been in this church for a long time, uh, sometimes if we're in the middle of a conversation, I'll say, hang on a minute, that person's new. I want to introduce myself to them, just to make them feel welcome. You're welcome here. If today's your first day or your first time here, I will tell you, you're welcome here. Enjoy. I hope we can accommodate you. A lover of strangers. People skills are very important. Uh, seven, able to teach. Now, here's again that difference between the elders and the deacon. The deacon doesn't have to be able to, to teach, but an elder does. Right? And I will tell you this, again, ability. There's many who have ability, but ability without humility can't use you. It's not me. It's just what the Bible says. You can have all the ability in the world, but if you have no humility, God can't really use you. You're so filled with yourself. That's the whole term, empty vessels. You've got to empty yourself a little bit before God can fill you. Right? Verse 3 in 1 Timothy 3. Verse 3. Not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. It's pretty heavy. A lot of stuff here. Not given to wine. Now, wine back then was very common. The wine oftentimes was diluted. They would use it for, um, for different stomach ailments. There was a, a you know, protozoa or bacterial issue back then. It did help in some respects. Um, the Bible even talks about uh, you know, somebody who's in, in dire straits. The wine can help them out a little bit. Back before uh, major narcotics, uh, alcohol was something that we, you would use if you were wounded on the battlefield and you were suffering. You know, it would help to deaden some of the, the brain activity. So wine had its uses. However, this is important, not given to wine. The word in Greek is paraoinos, which means literally saddled with wine. So in other words, your person sees you and they associate you with, oh, that person always has to have a beer. Or they always have whiskey with them. Or they always have, you know, it doesn't mean that you, I don't want to be more spiritual than Jesus. Now, the Calvary Chapel model is very, um, oh, I don't want to say this, very serious when it comes to alcohol. Being a police officer for 19 years, I see that alcohol has ruined families. I, I don't drink. I just don't. I don't need it. But if you have a glass of wine with your, your meal or something like that, and you're not stumbling someone who's come from that background, I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to be more spiritual than the Bible. Jesus turned water into wine. Again, they diluted it, but the Bible was very clear in both Old and New Testament that you could get drunk if you drank enough of it. Otherwise, the Bible wouldn't say don't be drunk if you couldn't get drunk. So some of these arguments are ridiculous. The Bible wouldn't say don't get drunk if you couldn't get drunk. You could get drunk. But you know what I'm saying, you know? <laughs> Makes sense? <laughs> get a little hyper sometimes. Uh, not violent. I love this. So, um, you know, it's so cool. I'm going through the scripture. I'm looking, you know, I haven't been in this book for a while. I've been in other books and I, not violent. What's this doing here? And then I'm praying about it. Not violent, not violent. It's like, okay, here's the answer. Why would you say this in ministry? Of course not. Here's the answer. You will have your buttons pushed. Mark my words. <laughs> People will test you and you can't hit them. All right. Imagine the lawsuit, you know, we make elders or elders come up and, 
You know, one gets frustrated and punches somebody in the church. That just doesn't work. We can't do that. So not violent, not a tendency to allow someone to get you so enraged that you, you blow up. And, and I've seen some of this, and it's weird. In church, you know, some of the craziest videos, you know, fist fights in a church, that's crazy. You know, we need to be able to control ourselves. So not violent. Uh, where was I? Uh, let's see. Okay. The other one is gentle. Uh, and some, have, some translations have patient. That's important. Four, not quarrelsome. Right? You know that you know some that the sky is always falling. Everything out of their mouth is negative. Everything's a tragedy. Um, maybe they're always complaining. Uh, so that's not an attitude that we need to have. That's not something that uh, others want to receive from us. Uh, five, not covetous. Now, this is really important because you will find, and in the Calvary Chapel model, and it's good for the most part, although it's starting to change a little bit, that pastors live a lifestyle that's within the mean or the median of their congregation. Especially if you're in a depressed area and you're driving around in a Mercedes-Benz and all these perks and it's from church money, that's not right. We don't agree with that. Uh, so if you're in a Calvary Chapel model, you probably won't get wealthy being in ministry. But you will see others who are. Now here's the problem if you have that covetousness in your heart. There's two things that'll happen. You'll either get angry, it'll bother you that others live so well. Or you'll humiliate yourself and always look to see what falls from the rich person's table. I won't allow that here. Definitely not. And I'd say this too. Um, and I will and I have. If there's a young girl who I think that there's a guy that's, you know, they're getting friendly and he's got bad motives. I'll take the girl aside and say, listen, I think that guy, I don't think he's got good motives. I really don't because I'm here to protect them. By the same token, and I've said this, someone's come into money. I may say to them, and I have, hey, all of a sudden I notice you have new friends. And your new friends are always telling you about their financial hardships. And unfortunately, sometimes they're pastors. Okay? Um, be careful. Hey, that's it. I said my two, I gave my two cents. I'm trying to protect you. I'm not going to control your life. We don't do shepherding here. Uh, but that's the thing. Somebody who's covetous will do whatever they can to see if there's a way that they can get taken care of. And that's not good in ministry. It doesn't work. Verse 4. 4. Uh, it says, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. If a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Now, understand, this is a leadership issue. It doesn't mean to rule with an iron fist. And we've had this discussion before in the scriptures. However, if your kids are young and they're out of control and they're unruly, it's kind of shameful. Our kids should be disciplined. Uh, it's funny, I've worked with Dyfus people for about uh, 19 years now, and there's this, this myth that you can't spank your kid uh, when they're out of line. You can't discipline them. And I've talked to supervisors, I've talked to a bunch of them, and like, there's no, it's, that's not true. Now, if you're banging your kid up and you're you know, wailing on them and it shows and somebody makes a complaint, sure, they're going to investigate, and they should. But simple biblical discipline is not, it's not, out of, it's not against the law in New Jersey. Uh, if somebody see, you know, and you'll have, and I've seen this firsthand, uh, a person sees you spank your kid at the supermarket, some people will take it upon themselves to find your license plate, call the police, the do-gooders, and have the police come and, you know, and there will be an investigation, but if, you, if it's just a spanking on the bottom or you've got to deal with your kid, that's unruly, don't worry about it. My, I laugh because the uh, Dyfus workers that I've meet, met, they're either young 
or a lot of them are from like African countries or Asian countries and and they have heavy accents and over there they they whoop their kids you know what I'm saying so they don't have a problem with you spanking your kids if they're unruly now let's talk about as they get older listen kids become teens my son's getting older they have the hormones they have the, you know they're trying to find their independence but they still want you to pay for everything <laughs> so you know so there's this this difficulty as a young person gets older they're trying to find out their identity and they may be snippy and snotty and things like that uh but you know we don't we don't lose our minds over that that's not what this is talking about as your kids get older and older in their teens or in their 20s and now they're starting to bring illegal activity into your home okay that's what we're talking about here and i know some good men of god some good pastors that are my friends that have had to kick out their sons because of bad activity being brought into their home as painful as it was because this is what it says in the word and i respect them for that all right so we need to understand the difference putting our kids on the altar and giving our kids to god is can be a very difficult thing for parents you know that's one of the things you talk to somebody about their kids they get defensive right so it's it's a it's a trigger point uh, six six verse not a novice lest being puffed up with pride he fall into the same condemnation as the devil the word novice is neophytos in the greek which is where we get the word neophyte right this is a newly planted young convert uh, and i will say this with age comes maturity mixing youth sometimes with a title can cause pride and if a person already has pride and they get a title it's disastrous the results are disastrous he says this is interesting don't let them fall into the same condemnation as the devil now we know that we read the scriptures in the old testament ezekiel and different scriptures uh, lucifer was a created being he was a uh, by all intents and purposes we understand he was a type of leader an archangel in some respects uh it talks about uh uh musical instruments that were created at the time that he was created so some speculate that he was a worship leader and we start to build this picture unfortunately he got prideful and he said i will be like god i will ascend as the how do you do that <laughs> you know what i'm saying i had a, a beginning i was born i'm going to die how do you ever get to the point where you call yourself and consider yourself equal with god but that's what he did and jesus said i saw satan fall like lightning you know you can't be in my direct presence anymore god said to him just like adam and eve you've sinned right he can come before the throne and and accuse to a certain limitation but he can't be you know there's no more that close fellowship with god that's a shame uh again we'll use the paintball example uh our opposing team look you guys are laughing up there in our opposing team they were there was a few members that got a little cocky a little prideful So I huddled our team together and I said this is how we're going to beat them. We're going to use their pride against them. And this is and we had a strategy and it worked. So <laughs> it's true. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Amen. So it's not just in paintball. I would say this, everyone here in this leadership is expendable including me. God forbid something happens to me cuz I know you all love me. <laughs> That's not funny. <laughs> there's jokes and then there's comments, okay? If something happened to me, Pastor Anthony, who's quite capable, uh I would expect that everybody would stay here and support him. Too many times in churches when there's a controversy, people book and it's wrong. I'm sorry. In some instances if a pastor's insanity won't step down, that's that's a good reason to leave. But when there's a crisis in the church, I see people leave. Why do they do that? 
It happened to us when we were young in our church. You know, I'm not holding a grudge or anything, but it's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. Uh, so we're all expendable. If something happens to me, Pastor Anthony is quite capable to take the helm. And I know he doesn't like to hear that. He's, he's praying all the time for me to be safe. You know, he likes where he is. Verse 7. Uh, Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. A good testimony with those outside. The unsaved world needs to see that we in the church are above board. When we're out at the supermarket or the movie theater or the uh, wherever we're at, we should have the same testimony to those on the outside, right? Uh, otherwise, if we're leading a double life and we think it's cool to be cool in church and talk the lingo and then go and lead a double life with our friends and we're as fleshy as can be, then we get arrested or then something bad happens or whatever the case may be, you know, there you go. There's the devil's trap of, of temptation. And again, I see a lot of pastors fall. And I think a lot of it is because they start to isolate themselves and they, they eventually live, leave, lead a double life. And there's this, this force field around them and nobody can understand them. They're, they're a mystery. They're enigmatic. And uh, I think it just uh, you just get caught up in the devil's trap of temptation. Verse 8. Likewise, deacons must be, now we're switching to deacons, must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience, but let these also first be proved or tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well, For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. So very similar to the elder requirements. Again, we saw that the teaching things, uh, the elder has to be able to teach and and should teach, whereas a deacon can just serve and and talk to people and whatever. Uh, But that's that one uh, thing that just kind of separates the two. It's not a big deal. Uh, Reverent, honorable, respectful respectful to those who are in authority over them and also respectful to those who are in the church it goes both ways three not double-tongued or two uh, equivocal shifty white lies excuses shady too slick for ministry you know what i'm saying it's just this guy's just so slick right so not double-tongued the word in greek literally means two words right uh, must be proved or tested If you find yourself wanting to be an elder or you think you have a calling to be a pastor and you find yourself and your life all of a sudden falling apart, that's a good thing. And I will smile. And it's not because I'm mean, but it's because I've been through it and I understand what you're going through. There are things that God, you know, you may say, gee, I I think this is a good idea. This is a, I really believe this is a calling that God has given me. And I don't understand everything's going wrong. People are coming against me. What gives? Well, what gives is uh, you're being tested. And you'll come forth as gold, as long as you trust the Lord. Uh, it's, not, it's not a time to bail out. It's a time to hang in there even more because God's doing something. Right? So uh, we see that. Five or four. Wives must be reverent, not slanderers, not gossips, temperate and faithful. Not I'll be there time and time again and doesn't show up. Well, it's okay. I'm just the person's wife. Uh, that's, it doesn't cut it. Right? You have to be faithful. And married couples should really be a team. Now, it doesn't mean that the wife 
does, has to do everything that the husband does, has to be at every event. But it means that she's in harmony with him in his ministry, and she supports him. Uh, and I would say this. I've heard the expression, if a husband and wife are having trouble at home and the husband's just a real jerk, uh, and I, I, I can't take this, but I've heard it said, you know, the counsel to the wife is just duck. Stop wearing with the guy. Duck. Let the Lord hit him. You're getting in his way. I would say the same thing to wives. If your husband is called to a higher calling, don't stand in God's way because you will be in his way. If you're any of these things and you know that your husband has a calling from God, you actually can hold him back from receiving that position. The Bible, Bible cuts both ways. Uh, don't be an obstacle, obstacle to God. On the other hand, if you're the greatest woman in the world and the greatest uh, woman of God and your husband's a schlep, he still won't be called into ministry. I would just say this, too. Uh, I'm blessed. Uh, I know my wife is my ministry partner in a lot of ways. Uh, this was a rough week for uh, people in the hospital and suffering things. And my wife said, it's just the week it is. Go. Go to the hospital. We'll be fine here. And if the wife is not supportive of that, it makes it all the more difficult. And I've seen that. Um, even in the skits for VBS, uh, she just is a trooper. We need somebody to fill in the spot as a skit. And my wife said, yeah, I'll do it. What, what do I have to do? Uh, so, I mean, I'm blessed to have her because I couldn't do this without my wife's support. She's a real trooper. Now, I want to jump to Titus. So after Timothy, you have Titus. And this is the last book that we're going to cover regarding this subject. Titus 1, 5 through 9. Verse 5, he says, for this reason, now the Apostle Paul is speaking to Titus, and he says, for this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast a faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and convict those who contradict. So the qualifications of elders and bishops, verse 5, he says, to appoint elders in every city, the local churches. Again, elders are not freelancers. You know, they are committed to the, the body that they're serving. They're not free agents. That's where their loyalties lie. Now, I will say, on the other hand, it is an honorable thing for a man who has the qualifications and says, you know what, I can't be committed to this church right now because I have a, a, a ministry outside of here. That's just as honorable. doesn't mean he's any less. But there's the attendance factor that has to be here for a man to be an elder in a local church, and it's clear in Scripture. Um, not self-willed. A lover of what is good, just, holy, and self-controlled. Verse 10. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. Now this was a, a problem indigenous, indigenous to the area at that time, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not, for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. 
This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. You think there was a problem in Crete? <laughs> they're, they're being instructed. Um, Titus is being instructed. Tell them to put a lid on it. Now, if you haven't read this portion of Scripture, you might be surprised. Weren't we just talking about gentleness and compassionate and love and humility? Here's the balance. Here's the tight walk, the tight rope that a church leader has to, to walk, is the line between firm and loving. Now, number one, if you're firm but not loving and compassionate, and you're a tyrant, people will leave the church. We all understand that. That's common sense. Two, if you're loving and compassionate but you have no backbone and you have no strength, people will also leave the church, surprisingly, and I've seen this in other uh, churches. Why? Because nobody wants to follow a weak leader. Jesus wasn't weak. Jesus was, when he had to, he was firm and he was strong. And he did what he needed to do, especially when it came to God being dishonored. He didn't play. I, I still blows me away. In John 2, he made a whip of cords. I could just picture all the, 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 the usury and the, um, the, you know, the corruption going on in God's house in the temple. I could just picture Jesus. He, he made, he's got these cords. I don't know where he got them from. Uh, thongs of leather or something, and he, he made a whip of cords, and he's, as this is going on, he's tying it together. He gets up, and he starts cracking the whip, overturning tables, freeing the birds from their bird cages, right? Uh, so it was pretty amazing. I mean, you read that in John chapter 2, it would blow you away if you didn't know that about Jesus. But they were making a mockery of God, and they were, it had to be stopped, and Jesus was the, was the person to stop it. Uh, I know pastors who, maybe even from the pulpit, there's some issue in the church, and, and it's it come back to me where he says, you know, I gave them everything they wanted. I don't understand why people leave, because you gave them everything they wanted. Um, you know, I, I think sometimes people test leaders to see, number one, if they're going to give them attention and pay attention to them and love them enough to correct them and say no. When I was growing up, I my parents were divorced, and I was looking... I can look back and reflect on it on a strong male figure, and my stepfather later on kind of fit that role in some respects. But, you know, to me, if somebody was to say to me, stop, what you're doing is wrong. You're going to hurt yourself, and you're hurting your family. Knock it off. To me, when that happened, I was like, oh, the person loves me. It's a weird thing, human beings, because they love you enough to stop you from your self-directed, destructive lifestyle. So, again... Loving and compassion is good. Firm is also good. And they have, to, they have to go together. And I would say this, along with reverence, being temperate, you got leadership skills here, you see courage and loyalty. Uh, there needs to be courage and loyalty. We need to stick together. When times are hard, when there's difficult times, when there's trials coming through the church, we don't scatter like sheep. And Jesus knew human nature, and he said that would happen. The leader is smitten, sheep will scatter. Uh, Back in these days, these church people had to stick together because they were really coming under uh, incredible fire. If the Roman authorities found that one of you, uh, you know, in, in a legal setting wouldn't worship Caesar and they were after you, well, the other church people could have said, it's not my problem. I'm going to worship quietly in my house. What about when they come for you? That's, right? Uh, so the point is that 
the, the other church uh, family had to help this person, maybe find him, hide him, give him a place to stay, feed him, take care of him, uh, not to just disappear. So that's important. Uh, if we're in leadership, things, things can be messy, and we, need to, we can get our hands dirty at times, but we need to be able to do that. With people come problems and, and their problems, and we have to love them enough and be concerned enough to try to help them through their problems. So what we see here, and again, this is, there's a lot more to this. Um, I'm going to go a little bit more to the applicable part uh, next Sunday, so I didn't want to you know, just really drag it out. But what we see really, if you've noticed this, these are more character traits, not necessarily ability. Did you notice that? A lot of these are character traits. There's nothing here about worldly experience. There's nothing here about having a trade. There's nothing here about educational degrees. It's not in here. Uh, but I would just say this, pray. If that's your desire, if you believe the Lord is stirring you to get more involved, uh, pray about what was said today. Pray about the word that you're reading. And also, uh, if you're lacking some of these, pray about, Lord, you know, I know some of my strengths, but I really need help on my weaknesses. I do that. I need to. Lord, this, this one area, Lord, I really need your help uh, with in my life. Uh, so this is, again, desiring to be a bishop, an elder, a pastor, a deacon is a good thing. Let's pray. Father.